In today's episode of the Sixers Beat, Rich and I talk about the two wins over the Detroit Pistons, what went wrong against Zach Levine and the Chicago Bulls, and about the returns of Tyrese Maxey and Joel Embiid to the lineup. Enjoy the podcast. All right, welcome everybody. This is Derek Bodner. Joined by Rich Hoffman on the Sixers Beat, a part of the Athletics Podcast Network. How you doing, Rich? Derek, I'm doing fine. I, uh, You know why I'm doing fine? I don't have to watch the Detroit Pistons play Seriously. for a while. Twice in, uh, was it three days? Uh, twice in the span of 48 hours, we had to watch that garbage Pistons roster. And I say that acknowledging they have a number of key players out, which just makes it even worse. Watching that team both as a basketball fan, but more specifically as it relates to us as basketball analysts, I have no idea how to analyze what we just watched over these last two games because that is, it's barely, now to the Sixers credit, they took care of business, including one win without Joel Embiid. Almost everyone who stepped on the floor played well and contributed to the win. They did. Including Jane Springer, setting a new career high in points. Including both backup centers. Everyone who stepped on the floor, for the most part, played well. But you better play well because that is barely an NBA roster at this point. I got to get something off my chest to start this. The fact that Troy Weaver, it was just reported, I believe Shams reported this last month, signed a contract extension this year should be enough for Sam Hinkie to file a class action (laughs) lawsuit against the entire National Basketball Association. Yeah. Yeah. What? What? Well, that that guy is signing an extension. What? He hasn't pissed off any agents, so therefore he gets to keep his job. I I know, and I don't want to relitigate that you think because it was just more a joke about <laughs> Troy Weaver. But man, it's, it is amazing. It is amazing. Uh so I I don't bet the NBA. That's the it's mostly football, which I would bet on, as we've talked about, because I, I don't like the ethical uh, thing of betting on something. I've got some hashtag ethics, I would say. Uh, and one huh. line is just that I don't that was bet news on to me. No, I don't bet on the NBA. You know, that's all. <laughs> you know, I, I don't want an award for it. But if you want to give me one, that's fine <laughs> as well. Uh, but I don't bet on the NBA or sports in general because I have other ways to waste my money. That's fair. But I was looking at the pregame line just to be curious because uh, I'm, I'm sure that they knew Bogdanovich was going to be out of uh, of Tuesday night's game in Philly, which is a huge deal by the way, in terms of like the line, because when you remove him from that team, you're one professional scorer who, you know, at least given the complete reins to the offense can get you 35 points in some way or another. Good player. As I used to call him back in the Dario days, FIBA Kobe, yeah. uh, Bogdanovich. Uh, you just have no way to score against the Sixers with the rest of that roster. And, and anyway, the line was 14 and an hour before the game, I, I did say to Kyle that, it felt like that was free money uh, to to bet the Sixers. And by the way, it should have been 34 should have been the line. Yeah, it was. Uh, I mean, gosh, they're so bad for the game. The Pistons shot 20. I think it was 29 percent at the rim. It, it felt worse than that. Um, I could be getting that wrong. Let me just make sure I got that right. Uh, oh, no, that was just the frequency. Sorry. And I, by I the way, when you say that, stat. like, you know, you take away their one legitimate score and they have no chance to score against Sixers. 
They're also the second worst defense in the league without their best interior defender. So, you know. Yeah. They were 60 they were 63% at the rim. That must have been in that garbage fourth quarter that had a million fouls. Um the Sixers were so unbelievably sloppy with the ball. You kept looking up and being like, "Man, they have 12 turnovers in like 15 minutes and they're up by 15 points." Yeah. What what is going on right now? Uh and they didn't even shoot good from 3 either. Derek, they shot 43 of 58 from 2. That is insane. <laughs> They shot 36% from three, which is completely average. And by the way, those looks were not difficult ones. Yeah. And they still put up 147 yeah. points. Yeah. They took their guys out probably even a bit too late. It was kind of midway through the third quarter. They probably didn't need to do even that much. It was, um, I don't know, man. The Pistons are bad. And I, you know, give the Sixers credit. They, uh, they did what they had to do, but. I, I also think that second game might not have been the most embarrassing outcome of the no. back-to-back for Los Pistons. When they when they had their guys on Sunday, the Sixers said, we're cool. Joel, take a seat for one more. We think we're going to beat you, even with your guys. Yeah. And by the way, were they ever right? I mean, yeah. you know, I, I say all the time that ended up being like a 12-point game. I always say when the Sixers lose by single digits and it wasn't that close— like, I am the first person in the world to point that out. That was a 12-point game. That was not a 12-point game. No. That was like a 25-point game. And everybody played really well. So, and like, look, give the Sixers uh, a lot of credit. They they played really well in those games. Uh, how much can we take from it? You know, backup centers were a big story in that first game, both of them. Yep. You know, but the Pistons are, are bad. Um, I, I think in fairness, right, like James Harden, a little bit of a revenge game on Ike Stewart, right? Yeah, yeah. I'm I'm not sure we can keep pulling out the Ike Stewart jokes after last year's debacle when he had a triple-double on the first play of the second half and he didn't even have Embiid yeah. with him. They just kept spamming Trez pick and rolls and they got whatever the hell yeah. they wanted. It was crazy. And Ike's turned into a pretty decent offensive center. Like he can at least dive to the rim and get some points. Um, he's expanding his offensive game, but yeah, they they have no chance inside. And and Reed off the bench was awesome. Like yep. just as savvy of an offensive game as he's played. Yeah, he was, he's making some really nice short roll passes, which is one of the more interesting subplots of his season when he does get a chance to play. It's always interesting to watch Paul Reed, like whether after he gets an offensive rebound, because I think he had like seven of them in that game, whether he shoots or passes it. Yeah. Because the the coaches have clearly told him, okay, shoot it if you have like a chance to score. But if you got to go over somebody, get that thing out there, like get, get rid of it quickly. And he's following that. But it's funny. Sometimes he looks and he thinks like, ooh, there's like a little bit of a crevice where if I do a weird <laughs> yeah. Paul Reed reverse <laughs> yes. layup, I can make it. And he look, he made all of them in that game. He was terrific. Uh, very funny. I believe they they combined for thirty seven points and sixteen rebounds in that game. Which is funny because that is like a normal a Joel, Joel Embiid line. <laughs> and Joel uh, in uh, in the game two nights later was the first player to score 35 points and grab 10 rebounds in under 25 minutes. So, okay. you know, tomato, tomato, whatever. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, um, I, I guess I would say for the Sixers, those were like, look, those were get right games. Both of them, they were uh, like the Pistons are, are just really bad and... That's a team you're supposed to kill, and credit to them. They beat the crap out of them twice. So, uh, you know, am I taking, like, 
this is a juggernaut offense out of that. This is, you know, this team is on the right track. Maybe, maybe it will like create enough good vibes. So they go on this West coast trip and they keep winning games. I actually kind of expect that to happen. I don't know how many they're going to win, but I, I would expect them to keep winning games here. If they don't at least win three, I think it's a huge disappointment. They could, I could see them go four and one. Like these are not great teams. The, the good teams aren't necessarily healthy and the teams that were surprisingly good. Okay. I'm talking about Utah at the start of the year have been struggling. Um, I, I think they could very easily, not easily, but I, they should go at least three and two and could go four and one for sure. Tough travel back to back to start going Utah, yeah. LA on a back to back West coast is tough. You know, like yeah. the East coast is a lot easier. The places are a lot closer to each other. Uh, but besides that, you're right. Those teams are not that good. Uh, so, but, but can we take a lot from beating the crap out of the business? I don't know. Not really. No, I can, I take almost nothing out of those two games. Almost nothing. I thought the backup center stuff was a little bit interesting in part because they both succeeded in part because they succeeded in their own unique ways. Do I know if that will translate for either of them? No, but it was at least interesting. And we got to see B-Ball Paul. He was dusted off a little bit. I didn't think it was one thing that I was really surprised when I sort of like looked into some of the numbers. You know, he's played two thirds of his minutes with neither Harden nor Maxi on the floor. That's astonishing to me. And it, Makes sense, right? Because he started the season sort of as a backup center. Um, Harden and Maxi both went down during that time. Then he sort of played his way out of the backup center role. So when Harden and Maxi came back, he was sort of out of the rotation. But I do think when we look at some of his on-off numbers and plus-minus, it's going to be hard for him to win very many of those minutes when neither point guard is in the lineup. And again, he hasn't played well, so I don't want to give him a complete out, but he, or at least he hasn't played well consistently. But I do think that's something that when we look at these numbers, you know, I think a lot of these numbers were halfway through the season. We go, well, they have to be somewhat meaningful. I mean, we're halfway through the season, uh, but not all of them are because of the injuries. And that was another one where, like, you looked at the plus minus of the starting lineup and coming into last night's game, they were plus 5.2, which was way under where they should be and where, way under where the sixth starting lineup has been throughout most of the year. Well, they have one good game and they're at a plus 12.8, uh, which is sort of in line with, I think, their, the starting lineup with Melton in there uh, and is close to what the starting lineup with uh, Thibel in there to end last season was at. So it's looking a little more normal, but that's because they beat the Pistons by 57 to 24 or whatever it was in like fucking 15 minutes or whatever last night. Um, yeah. So we are still at a point games. where some of these numbers, because the sample size is so low, one good game against a shitty team can boost the numbers. It, that's really the key is that at least everyone's finally healthy. It took half the season, but we're back at the st- the opening late start opening night starting lineup, which is good. What happened against the Pistons? Eh, I mean, they they got two wins. They feel good about themselves. That's about it. That's about all I have on those two games. It really is. Yeah, um, I think something else from those two games that really doesn't have anything to do with the Pistons because I I think it we talk about injuries. Tyrese Maxey, and this is also a, a carryover from the Bulls, which I don't think mm-hmm. we podcasted after that game. Mm-hmm. Tyrese Maxey's starting to look like himself again, yeah. which is good. You know, it's clear that, and I wrote about him. He, like, it's clear he still had some pain in that, uh, in that foot. You know, it was clear that, you know, he he admitted it after the game. Like he was like, I just forgot how hard it was to play NBA basketball, which is kind of like, it, in some cases, it's like an astonishing um, thing for a NBA player to say, but it. 
I, I guess his his main point is like, man, like you, you really need to have a lot of things going right to be like playing at this high of a level, which is funny coming from him because I'm sure like when another player has like a sore foot and is just coming off a long layoff and informed Tyrese Maxey is probably like the last guy you want to see just because he's going to run right by you every single yeah. time. Uh, so he looks better. You know, he made a bunch of threes in that game against the Bulls. He did not make as many threes as Zach Levine in that game, by the no. way, which is the Sixers pretty much. Their Jedi three-point defense, literally, they, they pretty much gave it all back in one game. Yeah. So the the force was with Zach Levine in that game. He was, um, no, he, he was awesome. What did he make, like, 10? 11. 11? <laughs> 11 to 13. <laughs> and they were, I, you know, some of them were easy. I, like the Sixers, it was one of those games they did not play good defense without Embiid. That said, some of the threes at the end were like, I, I yeah. don't know, what, what the hell do you want to <laughs> No, so, so, some of the middle quarter threes were definitely like they'd lose him in transition. They'd lose him off ball, dropped in a zone. He'd find the open spot in the zone. Uh, towards the end, though, he made some real tough ones. Some, <laughs> there were like he, three or four at the end. Yeah, like, okay, yeah. I, you know, maybe it's your fault for getting him going, but I, I don't know. <laughs> and that, you know, it's funny that they they played a full week here. And to go two and one without Embiid, especially with the Pacers game being one of them, that's like, that's good. Yeah. That's, that's something, even though they played a against bad teams in a couple of them. The Bulls are actually playing better, so yeah. I would argue the first two games were not against bad teams, uh, considering how the, the Bulls were playing and the Pacers standing in the uh, in the East. That's pretty good. It's just it's hard to take like too much meaning from them outside of you got Maxi back, and there was, a, uh, there was a really, I thought, an encouraging stretch at the end of the third quarter of that first Pistons game where I think he goes transition bucket uh, and one, where he's just shot out of a cannon. He looks like Maxi. Then rejects a pick and roll, finishes lefty, really nice finish. And it's kind of like the play where Doc says, get your fingernails on the backboard all the time. It's like he didn't actually get his fingernails on the backboard in that one, but it was a downhill attack where he was driving to score, right. which was a good one. And then the third one was just a nasty pull-up jumper in Killian Hayes' face, and I felt bad because he was being mean to, to Killian Hayes on that one. So basically just like a 7-0 run by Maxi to completely put the game out of uh out of reach and that's like that's encouraging because first two or three games he was back he did not look like that no. guy like they were they were playing at a a deficit because he just was not in form which is fine like we said it on the pod we we're like well, you got to keep playing him like you know it's fine like i think he will get get better but it, it's good to see that he seems to be a pretty uh a pretty quick healer and and he seems to be back and he got a new uh Got a new shoe contract today. He did. He did. And it's a, it's a, it's a old guys, old, da old dad shoes. I like it. I like it a lot. <laughs> I do not actually own any new balance. Um, but I, I appreciate going out on a limb. Not that you're going out on a limb. You're going out on the one that will give you the most money. Uh, but I appreciate him. I, I they have a couple of pretty big basketball players at this point, right? I think they've actually started signing people. I'm looking uh, at it now. I, I wouldn't think know I, this. This is more of a Kyle Newbeck thing, but I, I think I remember reading that they have some I, I, Kawhi. I think maybe. Yeah, I think Kawhi. Okay. Kawhi, Levine, Jamal Murray, um, Dejounte Murray. It says Jalen Brown here. I'm not sure if that's actually the case. I'm kind of just looking at Google. They definitely have Kawhi, which is funny because Kawhi would be of the NBA superstars, the person yeah. who has the old man shoes. Yeah, when I. But man, and I'm sure they're nice shoes for Tyrese. As we've talked about, me and you are not the uh, the sneakerhead no. experts by any means. Uh, when I think New Balances, I just think old white guy, just like real thick socks with shorts, like dad stuff. It's uh, 
So and and I guess I'm saying I'm sure Tyrese is going to have some pretty sleek new new shoes, just like all of these guys do. I imagine uh, they're not going to get that thought out of my head, though. I'm sorry, New Balance. Yeah. It's, it's ingrained yeah. in my head yeah. for my whole life. Um, I really don't care too much about the shoes as long as as they're well made and comfortable and doesn't Zion himself out of one. That's all I care about. All I care about. Good yeah. for him on getting the bag too. Yeah, I think and look, that's for them. Like he's a good person to sign. Like I. You know, I, I don't know how much of this makes a difference, like which superstar signs, but like kids loved Tyrese Maxey. So I feel like he's kind of, you know, he's almost like a junior Steph Curry in that way. Like they like the short little guy who uh, who's fast yeah. and has a lot and of skill and a big smile. look at Under Armour too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. For sure. You get somebody young at the right age. Um, maybe maybe someone like uh, New Balance wouldn't have a chance for uh, Tyrese in, in five years, but now they do. So Good move on them. Not not that I think Tyrese is going to have a Steph Curry like career trajectory and impact on the game, but who knows? You're who not. Knows? Kids improved a lot. It's improved a lot. Okay, so other takeaway from the game. This is just a big one. Joel's back, and like I said, really didn't feel like he missed a lot of time <laughs> no. because he scored whenever he wanted to. Yeah, and. <laughs> At the end of the game, it started to get really mean because they they were playing small. They had one big guy, our friend Nerlens, uh, yeah. who Nerlens is only big in height. Yep, uh, and they went small against him, and it was funny. I think the Sixers were trying to get Joel out of the game, but he was getting fouled every single time down the floor. Like Harden was just literally lobbing the ball up. Harden, by the way, who I think had I think he had sixteen, fifteen, and twelve in around the same that Joel played. I'm not looking at it right now, but I'm pretty sure that was the final line. Uh, the reason he got all of those assists is because he was literally throwing lollipops into the middle of the lane and just trusting that Joel would come down with the ball, and he did every time. Yeah, he uh, he looked good. And and after the game, he talked about it. He said, uh, he said that his foot injury, this is Joel, is kind of a continuation of what happened against uh, against Minnesota and something that, He's just going to have to monitor moving forward. He also said that if it was a playoff game last week, he might not have been able to play right away, which I wonder if that's truth or that's... You never know with Joel. You never know. Joel kind of laying it on a little little thick, which, yeah. look, I love him, but he he, he does... He's not always Likes the most drama. truthful yeah, yeah. With, the, uh, with that stuff. Um, but that said, like, Joel foot injury is always like, a little bit concerning, and, and when it when he kind of re-aggravates it, uh, especially like when you consider how many times Joel falls down in, in a season, and I'm not just talking about falling down because he falls down every three plays. I'm talking about like falls down where you're like, "Ooh, is that a bad one?" Yeah. Where he's like, where he's actually grimacing right away. Uh, this one, like, now this is twice now where he's actually had to miss a full week. I guess that's like a little bit concerning. I would say, yeah. Not sure there's anything they can really do about it. Not sure it's something you can really take them out of the lineup for. Uh, but yeah, it's absolutely concerning. It's um, certainly not affecting his play. <laughs> no, no, it's not. If it if it is, and the league's got problems, but no, it does not appear to be. Wow. I mean, because they're if it is affecting his play, like I know he's leading the league in scoring, and he added to it in, somehow in 25 minutes last night. Uh, I mean, we're talking about like Will Chamberlain numbers if it's affecting his play. So, what do you make, by the way, of all of these? It's like 
Levine had that big night the other night, and it was like, yeah, it was like that's a Sixers turn. They just got they just got smoked by somebody. And it's just like you you look at the scores every night, and it's like somebody has forty five points every single yeah. night, and it's yeah. Joel sometimes, but uh, it's just crazy. Yeah, no, I mean scoring's up in a big way, individual scoring in a big, big, big way, and certainly part of it. You know, a couple of years back they had that rule change where they reset the shot clock to 14 after an offensive rebound that creates more possessions. That probably has a small impact. I don't think that's nearly um, the entire explanation, but it's a very small part of it. But scoring is just up in a very big way. I think teams have finally, I, I feel like there was a sort of realization of how to maximize offense maybe a decade ago. And it took a while to get players skill levels up to that point to get coaches to buy in as much as they needed to. And I think it has just created an environment where star players can excel, but I don't know if I have necessarily a real good explanation for it. It is how many 30 point scores are there? Like seven, something like that. Now, some of them have missed significant time. uh, And Durant, when he's back from this injury, looks like he will miss significant time, uh, which is why the MVP race might be thinning a little bit. Um, But yeah, it's, it's crazy. It's crazy. I don't I have a great explanation for it. Yeah. Also, honestly, there's just a lot of really great talent in the league right now. Like we we're at a real, like the depth of talent right now where, you know, eras can usually be defined by one, two, three, maybe four players. It just feels like there's a lot of really high end. Like if you had to rank a top 10 right now, it's very fucking tough. It's very tough. Uh, I, I, I'm sorry. I misspoke. Luca has surpassed Joel. He's up to 34 points a game because he shoots literally every time. Although Joel shoots a lot too. The uh if I'm looking at it right now, there are eight players that are averaging over twenty nine points per game. We're about to see one tomorrow night, Shea Gilders Alexander, who uh who better get his shots up quickly because Wembanyama calls and uh I think an ankle injury calls for uh yes. for him that keeps him out for a little bit. But uh yeah, it's it's wild. I, I think part of it is just like there's like the, the heliocentric idea with Luca and, and Harden kind of starting it. And and yeah, it's the spacing is the other issue too. It's like, all right, are you going to double? Because that sucks. Like if you're trying to win the game, it's like, oh, double, get the ball out of his hands. It's like, okay, yeah. But they have like I think three other guys who can shoot. And it's like in the Sixers case, yeah, you double and beat all the time. It's like, shit, they're, they're shooting 38% from three. Yeah. They're going to get wide open shots. No, I certainly, I, I certainly think like there are more teams now where legitimately all five players can shoot almost all times throughout the game. Where even like five years ago when we talked about shooting constantly, it felt like there were a lot more non-shooters. And I do think that has, has definitely had an impact. Like I, I would just love to see Iverson in today's game because everyone talks like, oh, he wouldn't fit. Okay. Yeah. But like when all four, five defenders aren't in the paint, like what could that guy have done off the dribble? I'd love to see it. I think there are a lot of players back then who, if you would implant them in today's game, they might be able to score two, three, four more points per game, not because the defense has gotten worse, but because defending has gotten tougher. I think AI, yeah, if he played in today's game, first off, he'd be a better three-point shooter. I'm just convinced of it because they would, they would teach Larry him Brown from a younger be telling age. him not to shoot him. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. And I, I just think from a younger age, he would just, kind of learn it a little bit better and he would you know he wouldn't be Steph but I, I think he could get himself up to be like a 35 36 percent shooter uh staying in front of him would be freaking impossible considering awesome. 
you know, like imagine how many times he got to the rim with Tyrone Hill and Matumbo and yeah. George Lynch. George Lynch, like my God, like Matisse could have been George Lynch. Um, and Aaron McKee who took eight years to shoot. He was kind of their one shooter from the corner. Yeah, it's uh, Eric Snow. Oh my God. Yeah. Um, he he would just be insane. Like he would staying in front of him would be legitimately impossible. Yeah, I, I think he would be awesome. Now that said, he wouldn't get as many bullshit steals as he would playing back in that era. And yeah, and we'd also focus more on his defense. Oh, he'd get hunted. Absolutely yeah. mercilessly, but I still think he'd be pretty awesome now. Pretty awesome, uh, but you're not going to ever get me to say that Allen Iverson isn't going to be pretty awesome, even if I don't 100 percent believe it, because <laughs> he's my favorite player. Uh, what else we got? Oh, did you hear Joel after the game with uh, with Nerlens? He uh, <laughs> let me find the exact quote here. I did he's- find it interesting. Um, Kyle Newbeck was debating this on Twitter, uh, where Elliot Shore Parks, his, his podcast co-host, was trying to get him to say whether or not this is the best Sixers team since 2001, which sort of implies that. that 2001 is the better team than the current team. And I don't know if 2001 would qualify. Like if you took the top five Sixers teams since 2000, I'm not sure 2001 is in the top three. Yeah, it's just the I, game I, has changed so much and so radically, and it's so tougher to defend, and it's so much more talent across the the court. Uh, I know we all have fond memories. Trust me, I was I was there for some of the, that playoff run. I was in the building, not as a journalist, as a fan. The game has changed, man. Like Tyrone Hill, you, you're not running post ups for Tyrone Hill anymore. You're not you're not surrounding Iverson with four non shooters. It's just not happening. Well, well, those are two different things though, because that that era was worse too. So you, oh, you sure. do have to era adjust. Like, yeah, of course, the the current teams would beat the brakes off them just because they're more skilled yeah. and and all those things. That even adjusting for era though, like I think twenty eighteen nineteen is beating the crap out of that team. Like I, I do. Yeah, I just, it, it's it's tough because spots. that team. Well, it's also tough because that team was together for such a short amount of time. But talent level, if you put those two teams up in a seven game series, I definitely take 2018 19 and I take this team too. They're better. They're better at every single spot except shooting guard. And like, is Allen Iverson guarding JJ Reddick? Yeah, they're not. That team's not doing it. I mean, Ben Simmons was like, Eric Snow was Ben Simmons, but like, not Without talented. It. Like, <laughs> yes. And shorter. <laughs> he was a point guard who could barely dribble, didn't really have any passing creativity, and couldn't shoot. Hell of a defender, though. Yeah, yeah, no, th- then that, so that goes Simmons. back to our point when we're talking about off- or offensive players and all the success. The game is just so much more skilled, so much deeper, so much better spaced, so much better movement. Um, it's really tough to compare eras because, quite frankly, that that one team gets wiped off the floor. I think so it's wiped off the floor by almost any 50-win team in today's NBA. Yeah. Um, and I love that. And again, again, I love that team. I adore that team. I enjoyed that team, but it's just different. I'm sorry, go ahead. What do you think about last night's Pistons against... Uh, let's call it the, <laughs> let's not say, yeah, let's say 15, 16. Yeah. Against, against 15, 16 Sixers. Yeah. I think it's a close game. I think Pistons probably win. Just the players that were suited up and available. Yeah. Cause if you, if you add in Bogdanovich and Cunningham and all those guys, no, like, no, 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 that team I, wins let's, easy. You know what? I'll give them, I'll give them Ike to give them two bigs. That's okay. It. But no, okay. no Bogdanovich. I, I think that's a relative game which gets back to my Troy Weaver point I just don't get it like I know that they're uh 
they're missing Cunningham and Bogdanovich last night, but they that team is just not that good. Uh, no, no, they're he's not. He's had a lot of time to make them more interesting than that. The, uh, yeah. I, I by the way, I think to answer my question, I still think that team probably beats the uh, probably fifteen six. A lot Sixers. of a lot of of, of former Sixers slash uh, Philly connections though too. Yep. Embiid on playing against Nerlens. This is my tweet from last night. It was good. That's my guy. Obviously, a lot of good years with him. It's good playing against him. He got me a few times with him reaching, so <laughs> I was kind does. of pissed about it because that's all he does defensively. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm just glad to see him get minutes. I think he deserves to get a lot of minutes regularly, which is uh, end quote there. That's just the that's Joel. That's uh, yeah. you know he'll he'll compliment somebody while roasting him. I also think Nerlens has like one of the funniest skill sets in NBA history because on the one hand he's got the fastest hands in the at the history of the center position and also just, the worst hands in the history of the center position and he's got the weakest hands in <laughs> yes. the history of the center position as well. Yeah. So when's he when's he coming back? He needs to get a backup center run with this team. Seriously. What is he? How, how many years does he have left? Let's get Nerlens back on the Sixers. Where's the contract info? Why did I scroll right past it? He's got. Oh, he's got one year left on pre. It's a team option. It's a team option. I'm not sure how much, if any of that is guaranteed. I think it might be non guaranteed. He might be on an expiring, but nine point seven million next year team option. Yeah. Uh, you can consolidate a couple contracts into that. Uh. Yeah. As you all know by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using the BetMGM lines to make all our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use the bonus code TABASKETBALL, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,000 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code TABASKETBALL. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game. Claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. 21 plus to wager. Visit BetMGM.com for terms and conditions. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Nevada, New York, and Ontario. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. In Colorado, D.C., Illinois, Indiana, Louisiana, Maryland, Massachusetts, New Jersey, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Tennessee, Virginia, West Virginia, and Wyoming. Call 1-877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-522-4700 in Kansas and Nevada. 1-800-327-5050 Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. In partnership with Kansas, Crossing Casino and Hotel. In Ontario, if you have questions or concerns about your gambling or someone else close to you, please contact Connects Ontario at one 2600 to speak to an advisor free of charge. Sports betting is void in Georgia, Hawaii, and Utah, and other states where prohibited. Promotional offers not available in Nevada and New York. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use the bonus code TA Basketball and you'll get a one year subscription to The Athletic Plus up to a $1,000 first bet offer on your first wager. No, I mean, look, well, look, I guess we'll have a couple podcasts here to talk about backup center options coming up at the trade deadline. I am not convinced. I'm convinced of two things. One, Montrez isn't going to hold up in the playoffs. And two, Doc isn't going to go to Paul Reed as long as Montrez is on the roster. So I don't necessarily have a lot of confidence in that backup center spot. I do think that is something they should look too sure up. I'm not necessarily saying Nerlens because he is not a perfect player, but he would be an upgrade over either of those two. Uh, but certainly I think that when you're looking at potential trades at the deadline, I think backup center is a definite 
target. Definitely I'm, target. I'm looking at one of my favorite process moments. This was a Shaq then a full moment. Do you remember this one? Nerlens he strips Anderson Verajao just clean on like a dribble handoff. Fastest hands you've ever seen. He's driving, is in Philadelphia, driving for a wide open dunk, and he just loses the ball. He just like <laughs> forgets how to dribble it. And then the ball slips out of his hands and he's falling out of bounds and he just throws it up or whatever. It's I mean, and by it the is, way, the number of people who would just forget how to dribble on that team was staggeringly high. Staggeringly yeah. high. I mean, by the way, what a what a time capsule this roster is right here. I, I'm looking at the other players on the floor. Hollis Thompson, okay. former Sixers, great. Jeremy Grant, who makes a ton of money. Yep. And then the backcourt of Nick Stauskas and TJ McConnell. Oof. Oof. Hey, TJ's still, he's making a good good living. He's making a good living. I think, didn't, didn't uh, Nick uh, get a Eastern Conference championship ring last year? Believe he did. Uh, I'm <laughs> not sure. A, that, you don't get a I'm not ring sure he really that, parlayed that into more of a job no, afterwards, but, you know. He looks like he's one or two more years away from broadcasting. Yeah. No, he'll, he'll go overseas. He can make money overseas, for sure. Big like Clay, shoot like Steph. Not sure I have... All that much else. I've got a pretty jam-packed schedule coming up here, so we will have to fit some podcasts in. You can always send emails to mailbag at sixersbeat.com, and we will try to get to them. But they've got the Thunder here on Thursday to close out this home portion of the schedule, of which I have barely attended because I've been sick. But then they go on a five-game rotor at Utah. Two in L.A., Lakers first, Clippers second. I feel like they usually play the Lakers first. I don't know why it shakes out that way. Uh, and then the Blazers and Kings. Yeah. Uh, they are, I mean, their schedule is the hardest in the league moving forward. And that's even considering with a pretty easy next six-game stretch. Yeah, and by the way, like I, I think Tankathon is just, I, I tweeted this out last night, they have the hardest remaining schedule by a, a good bit on Tankathon, which I think is just record of the, the teams. Yeah. They've played a lot more home games than road games. Yeah, too, so it's probably even harder than that. that yeah, formula they're so. uh, and they haven't played a lot of games either. Like they're they're towards the bottom, and you know, obviously, it's only like a two or three game gap in a lot of cases. But uh, their their schedule is is not easy moving forward. Now it's it's kind of weird where they're at right now because I'm just like, man, their schedule has been super easy, but they've also been super banged up with their star players. Yeah. Where like, I don't know, I, I feel like a. Overall, you give them like a B. Maybe, yeah, B. I think a B is probably fair. Yeah. For where they are right now. No, look, anytime you can withstand major injuries, not major, but significant missed time from Embiid, Harden, and Maxi, all in the same half of a season and be towards the top of a conference, you're succeeding for sure. And have they had a very easy schedule? Yes, that has helped. But the other thing that has helped is their, the depth, not only the depth of their star players, you can miss two stars at a time and still have competent offense, but the depth of their roster, like they go eight, nine, 10, sometimes 11 deep, and they can find contributors to step in and give them quality minutes. And they deserve a lot of credit for that. We do still need to see whether they can win against the best teams consistently. And we will get a chance to do that now that they are in the second half of the season. But the fact that they are still within striking distance despite all of those injuries is a success. Have we learned everything we need to learn about the team? No, but they have not hurt their positioning, which I, I, I would certainly classify as a success. Uh, sure. 
Another guy, too, like, I, I know, like, these last couple of games were a joke for him, so, like, whatever. Uh, Harden is playing very well. You know, and I he threw up a little bit of a stinker against Chicago, but, like, he's he looks about as good as he has as a sixer. He looks very under control right now, which is just, that's good, you know? Obviously, not uh, not exactly blowing by guys like we, we've talked about before, but he's he's playing pretty consistently well right now, and that's... That's going to be important for them moving forward. Back-to-back triple-doubles against the Pistons. Again, against Pistons, but good to see. Um, his passing, even even the game against uh, Chicago, which he really did struggle. What he shoot? I think four for 17 in that one. Mm-hmm. Really struggled as a scorer, but the passing was on point. I thought he did a real good job of creating shots for others. He's looked. He definitely has looked very good. Again, we can all have questions that we don't have to repeat all the time. But he is succeeding in the role they need him to succeed in right now to help carry the offense. Um, and the Sixers are a much better team when he's on the floor right now. Certainly a much better offense. I, he's playing well enough to the point where I think if he hadn't missed a month, let's say it was just two weeks, if he had just missed two weeks instead of a month, I think he'd be a no-brainer all-star. And he, yeah. he had this production across the board. Now, you might be saying, okay, maybe he might not look as healthy if he didn't miss that full month and all those things. That's fine. But I just think on a per play basis, whatever it is like he, and even factoring in that his defense is just, uh, uh, he's been, he's been really good. So that's all. All right. Well, we will see how they do here in this upcoming stretch. Thank you, Rich, for jumping on and we'll talk to you soon. See you, man.